All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game, DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs, make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Gunner Kennels, baby. Hashtag man's best kennel. Well, it's also now hashtag man's best food crate. It's freaking raccoon proof. You can't get into this thing. Your dog can't bust into the lid and eat all the food. Trust me, I know Memphis has done it in the past. She looks like a blown up pumpkin. Boom. But not anymore. We've got the Gunner Kennel food crate. It's easy to pack easy to store, keeps food dry, which food's an investment, man. That Purina, baby, it ain't cheap anymore. So keep it dry, good, all that stuff. Easy to pack, easy to store. The Gunner Kennel Food Crate, slide into DMs if you'd like to learn more. Have you wondered if you wanted to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in, links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. on the simple stuff which is control and over the basics you know the dog if, if you ain't gonna teach it to mark the week of training it's just not gonna happen um but, but we can teach it to sit there and be steady and and hope and hope to build a little confidence by being steady and that that's the one thing i always even on a regular weekend test steadiness is key to me if the dog ends up not marking or goes out because it fell on a blind you know that's one thing, but we can make, we can get the dog to sit, essentially. We, if we're going to sign it up, it, it, it should sit. All right. What's up, buddy? Everybody, I'd like to uh, welcome to the show first time guest Carter Turner from Mossy Pond down in Georgia, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Do me a favor. Take a second and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Hi, Bob. Nice having me on. My name's Carter Turner, and I'm from Patterson, Georgia, a uh, small town in southeast Georgia, about an hour and a half north of Jacksonville. Been training dogs full time for seven years on competitions, and been glad to, you know, move up from throwing birds before that, and now running the running the big show with y'all guys. I got a <laughs> wife and two kids, Waylon, who is four, and Kip, who's ten months old, and both of them are ready and eager to be in the dog game, but. You know, I don't, maybe they won't take my job from me. So that's the big thing so far. That's awesome, man. Yeah. You had a wild upbringing. I mean, you've been doing this. You've been in the dog game since like middle school. Tell us about that. Yep. So when I was growing up, my cousin had a dog being trained at Mossy Pond by Brad Arrington. And I kind of just went out there with him and threw birds for him. And we'd spend a bunch of time out there watching him do gun dogs and when he got into the derbies it really sparked my interest in going to run competitions and i was like so i went with him to a couple of competitions and then spent my summers in new york and marlboro new york 
and just really fell in love with the competition game. And that really made a you know impact on where I wanted to go. I ended up going to college at University of Georgia, but that was just for my mom's sake. She really <laughs> wanted me to have a degree. Um, I knew the whole time I was going home to train dogs. Ended up graduating and going straight home to to train for Brad. Very good. So how old were you when Brad was like, all right, man, well, do you want to get paid and throw birds? I was 16 whenever I got paid for the first time. Um, ended up when I was – so my first year of college, I spent the summers. That's when I officially did it, like, full-time for, you know, a couple months. But during the – I would go there every now and then. I threw for a couple hunt tests, too, for him that they had some little HRC tests and, you know, made a quick extra buck. But really, I was probably 18, 19 years old when I first started – truly going on the road with him and seeing the whole world and how big this game really is that it's just not here in Patterson, Georgia. That's awesome. So that when you saw the competitions, that's when it was like light bulb moment. This is what I'd like to do. Absolutely. And, and, you know, growing up duck hunting and running rabbit dogs and coon hunting, I, I was real competitive in the coon hunting game and turned it over to the, duck hunting as soon as i found out there's competitions i love i love winning winning is ultimate goal so i rolled into when i found out there was something i can go and compete at and be successful at that's that's when i was sparking my big interest on it can we talk about the coon hunting game for other people but also honestly just for me like that sounds awesome okay. what what did you do what kind of dogs you're running what does that look like so uh one of my uncles he he was doing it, and, you know, obviously I was one of the youngest guys by about 60 years probably in there. <laughs> and uh, But I I loved it, and you have – we were used tr tree and walkers, but it was blue-tick coon hounds and red bones and black and tans, and you have little casts, and you go out with four dogs at a time, turn them out, and you have to know you have to know your dog's bark for, the, for when they're just trailing. Then you have to know their tree bark. It's two different types of barks, and you call them. You, there's a point system involved. And then after 60 minutes of hunting, whoever has the most points wins. And it's all a cash prize. You pay money to enter, and you win the pot at the end. Is that where people get the Grand Knight Champion? So that would be on the UKC side. I participated more in the PKC. PKC actually pays out, where UKC is just more like a hunt test, just a pass or fail type thing. You get a ribbon. Gotcha. But like, the, the coonhound world is, paid is very, very competitive. Is it really? Yeah, it's, it's very, we, we traveled all the way. You know, we went up north. I've been Ohio, Kentucky, running events. Um, there's a lot of comp competitive people in the coonhound events. That's really cool. Do people, I feel like when I see other events, beagles, coon dogs, you know, you even like the professional bite dog sports. I mean, those are, they are professionals, right? But I don't see rigs like what we've got. No, it's, we, we got a whole different level of, of rigs and of money tied into it. But I think also our value of our dogs are probably a little higher simply because of the way we treat them. It was a mental thing. Them coon dogs, you know, most of them living on a chain out into the, out in the yard. When's the last time you seen your grand hunting retriever champion or SRS champion laid out in the yard on a chain? You don't see that. No, it's a good point. Yeah, it's it's just one of those things where they. But he, I'm just even talking like, I, I I haven't dabbled in it as a trainer, but like I'll commentate for a bite dog sport 
competition. It's I, I guess the way you would equate it is it's the SRS of the bite dog sports. And I'll I'll go out there and commentate for it. And, you know, it's two gunner kennels or very kennels in a van. And it's like four or five dogs for that trainer. And it's a lot of times their personal dog that they take to the high level. And then it's like, you know, they have people come and day train with them or whatever, where, you know, these dogs with us stay with us year round, 10 months out of the year. You know, it's just a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also, we're, we're being with our companions, our lifestyle. These dogs can live inside with you and be your best friend. And, you know, the bite dogs of course can, but on the coon hunting world, most of them are only used to coon hunt. They're not laying in there with you. You know, they're probably going to have an open style dog box in the back of your truck. Or if you're up north, you'll have one that can close the doors on it. But you're just going to be in a little two or three hole box in the back of the truck. Definitely ain't no Ainley or deer skin back there, though. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I, I wish our stuff wasn't so dang expensive, bud. I know it. I, I could have something new to them. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So did you have your own coon dogs or was it your uncle's? No, I, so I started off just tagging along with him and ended up buying my own coon dogs and, you know, chase the pedigrees. And, and it's kind of funny. It's all the same as labs. We all look for pedigree and how we like this marking and different stuff. Well, the same thing with coon dogs is, you know, there's different ones that trail better and different ones that treat this and some run farther and some go off hunting by themselves and won't hunt with the pack. There's different little things they're looking for. So I was big into finding the right one. I had a really nice dog I made to a silver champion. And there's three levels of bronze, silver, and platinum. And then when I finally got out of it, when I started training Labradors, I figured I couldn't chase dogs around all day and all night. So yeah. I better pick one. That's fair. What Very do you good. like? What do you look for or did you look for in the pedigree for like, I want this in my coon dog? So I was big into the wipeout tree and walkers and the wipeout is the bloodline. And the main thing I looked for was the dog in solo hunt. So you need a dog that'll go off and tree by himself and won't stick with a pack and back up other dogs. That's how you get more points essentially is by treeing by yourself. So one that had to have a good nose can trail something that's maybe an older track, but then end up getting off and running it by himself. Do you feel and like the training for that was a good foundation? foundation may not be the right word but like a good uh transition into more of the lab world i think the key to it was was learning how to spend time with dogs and read dogs half of our job as labradors is being able to read a dog and using the different type of ways to train the dog based off of what we're seeing him do so the same thing with the coon dogs i can train when i was working them and you know doing different things i could read the dog when he left the box on well, maybe I should try this or put him on more hot buckets or maybe get a live coon in front of him. Different stuff where same with lab, you know, as soon as we let him out the box, we know we can look at her feeling. Do we need to throw a fun bumper before we start or do we need to maybe do some corrections, some force fits or something? Just reading dogs is, was very critical there and is today too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it probably built a, a Kevin used the word foundation, but the foundation of being with an animal and understanding what it, is probably going to do before it does it just by looking at its mannerisms, its body language, and then reading the timing of things. It probably laid a great foundation for you. Yep. And, and, you know, taking care of them, you know, I had rabbit bagels at the same time that I just piddled with and mainly had, had just three or four of them and, you know, the health care of dogs and taking them and cleanliness and 
making them the best they can possibly because if they feel the best, they'll run the best. Same with the Labradors. Now, you know, the better I take care of my labs, the better they're going to perform for me. I'm asking them to go out and do a lot. So I want them to be in the best health and the best shape they can be in at all times. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So what were some of those dogs, the coon dogs, what were they named? I always get a kick out of that. <laughs> well, they, they're not nearly as uh, unique as these um, Labrador names get on the papers. A lot of them are just the actual call name. But I had one a dog named Belle. I can't remember her. She was a blue tick coon hound, and she was very nice, except she had literally chewed through hot wire to get out the kennel. So <laughs> she was on a chain most of the time. And had the, the dog that I made the silver champion was Wipeouts, Threesomes, Trip. And he was, he's the one who really took me to the farthest and I enjoyed hunting him the most, but you know, I had a dog named a dog directly off of hairy balls. <laughs> um, so they, they had hairy balls and they had silent balls and all different types of balls. And so we all, you had to keep the, the balls name in there. So we, we, we moved on and I think I can't remember the exact paper name. We called him Cujo, but he was a uh, something. I don't even remember exactly. Something balls, though. <laughs> I think I need to keep that in the back of my head. I was just going to say, what are we doing for... We got a litter on the ground right now. And, yeah, uh, it's uh, Harry Balls on you. <laughs> we could, might need to adopt that. <laughs> Fantastic, dude. Well, awesome. Now we're, we're 19, 19, 20. We're in college, and you're spending your summers with Brad. It's still throwing birds, correct? Correct. And I did do you know the start he showed me some leash work and just running some gun dogs here and there but no real training mainly just throwing birds okay when did you kick into like all right carter this is your group of dogs and and we're going to teach you how to get them from a to b so as soon as i graduated college i graduated in a winter semester of 16 2016 so january of 17 i guess this is going on seven years now about to be seven years I got to start at Mossy Pond and I was an apprentice basically under a guy named Mac Boatwright and he showed me from the ground up and I, I thought I was going to move straight into the big dogs and get to run and watch Brad on the derbies. And I was like, man, this is easy. You know, you sit up there and just call their names and go get them, blow the whistle. And the first week or two, I think all I did was touch a wonder lead. And I was like, whoa, this is different. And then I learned that and then moved into the force fetch game and then moved on. All the way through the, I mean, one I had one year of doing that, and then I went out and started running competitions the very next year. Okay, what are some things that you learned in that foundation year that that building blocks of taking a dog from zero to hero that you would pass on to someone starting out? So the first thing I noticed was how the first two weeks was was probably the most important two weeks to me when the dog got so a dog gets dropped off at five to six months old. You can't go straight into just putting a rope on them or putting a collar on them and training them. There was a two-week span that we got the dog adjusted to being in the kennel environment, being with me, becoming buddies with it. And I learned, I thought, you when I first started, you just get the dog, you start training them, and let, let it go. But now it's, you know, let's take some time. Even when me and Lee switch dogs back and forth between each other sometimes, I'll spend a week or two with them on a fully trained dog to just get used to him. And, you know, if I, you said Carter here, run this master dog, I'd want him a month ahead of time just to be able to get acclimated to him and let him get comfortable with me and my lifestyle. And then we'll move on. And then we can get to training the same way with, you know, when them little young dogs is most important. I wanted to build an attitude to make them as happy as possible about retrieving 
because essentially we're going to knock it down and build them all the way back up the way we want to build them up. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes I'll be honest. I think sometimes we can forget that, you know, it's like wham, bam, not wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. In terms of not caring, but it's like, all right, Hey, you know, let's get rolling. Let's get doing the leash work. Let's get going. And we've got to slow down so that later on we can speed up, build a good relationship, build that retrieve drive. I mean, some of them that come here don't even know what a fun bumper is. And if they do, they don't bring it back and they're running all over the field. And you first instinct is like, you got to be kidding me. Here we go. But that's part of it. And I think that's a really important key to remember. The first thing I do is that. Absolutely. Yeah. The first thing I do, and I actually got two puppies right now that we're working with and my bird boy is want to become more of a started dog trainer. So I'm trying to teach him a little bit. And, you know, we got two puppies just dropped off that are five months old. I went and got clip wing quail. We put them on a long leash and I said, look, I want you to walk about 200 yards with them and every 50 yards, just play with this quail with them and let them chase them. And I just let him do that on a long leash. There's no healing. There's no sitting, nothing like that. Just let them play and let him walk. And the dog got real good. The first day that one of the dogs was real good, but the other one was real nervous about walking on that leash. By the end of it, two days later, she was just moving flawlessly on it. But we use that bird to, you know, hop around and chase it. Oh, man, it really turns them on. Absolutely. Let the light bulb click. Let the light bulb click. Yep. And, I and think, then they want to start training. Exactly. Then they'll start wanting to work. I think that would be phenomenal if owners who <laughs> did that before we got them to some degree where it's like they have been on a leash. They have been on a check cord. They have been swimming. Nothing has to be perfect. I'm not asking for, you know, a perfect six month old puppy to come here, but you know, just acclimate them to life. Absolutely. Yeah. And we get, we get dogs of all types down here and I'm sure you do too. Everybody does. We get dogs that have literally been bought at eight weeks old and been put in a pen and fed and ordered. And that's all they've ever been done. They maybe let out every now and then they hardly can catch them. Don't know their names. And then we get the ones that are, you know, the person has done everything with and you can they ride in the truck and go to work with them and everything else so you know we get a little both ends but that's the the key to it just like i said well you got to be able to read the dog and know all right i can go a little faster i can push this dog a little harder or i might need to slow it down a little bit and take my time and it'll all normally it all pans out in the end 100 percent. it it does I, I kid around about it once in a while like if we have a problem dog or a challenge or something going on my comment is they don't they don't have a choice but to figure it out at some point due to sheer will of us training and doing it. They don't have a choice, but to figure out how to sit down and mark and pick up a blind and da, 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 da. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> it may not be, yep, the you do it. they're going to do it. Yep. It might not, it might not pass the test, but they'll go, they'll go pick that duck up because they, they don't have another option for us. That's right. That's right. Now, Carter, do you so, mostly do, at least right now, are you mostly doing like hunt test dogs and things like that? Or are you doing a lot of like gun dog, people want you to train the dog to be just a hunting dog sort of thing? In our system, I'm pretty much only touching competition dogs. Um, I do piddle with a few, and I say piddle, I, I do train a few um, gun dogs. Mainly right now I'm doing it just to help my bird boy become a trainer. So I have a couple of gun dogs that we're, we're, I'm helping him and we're going to put all the way through the transition level. 
but I keep 25 competition dogs pretty much year round. I do a lot of this time of year. I do a lot of fun stuff with them. I take them hunting and at Mossy Pond, we have a plantation style preserve. We have upland pheasant, upland quail, duck hunting, and we have all types of duck hunting pit blinds. And then you're, so I will take actually my clients dogs hunting for them. So that's half of our training right now. That sounds really stressful. Doing the hunting style stuff. That sounds pretty <laughs> tough, man. If you oh, if you is. need someone to come take that burden, yeah, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've hunted four or five different dogs, you know, in the past few weeks that, you know, I'm like, hang, you're seven grand passes. How are you not doing this? But, you know, I'm asking them to do something they've never done before. But, you know, the owners are, I think it's, it's rewarding for the dogs. They've worked for the last 10 months. They've worked their tail off for me and, and went all over the country and done everything I've asked of them. So it's good for me to put some birds in front of their face too. Absolutely. We're going to get into that a little bit later about dogs first hunts, no matter how well trained they are. Um, but I want to hear about your successful fall, man. And let, and we'll banter a little bit about our camaraderie at flight H, <laughs> but you had, so you, you ran the grand then the SRS, or was it the SRS, then the Grand? So I run the SRS first, and then the Grand, and then straight to the National. I, had, I went home on a Sunday from the SRS, left on Wednesday for the Grand, come home from it, and left the following. I came home on it on a Wednesday, left on Sunday for the National. No joke, I don't envy that. <laughs> you know <laughs> when, when it was? It, the way it worked out, I, I can, I'll do it again if I can do it the same way. Yeah, really. Why is that? Well, anytime you get to win the crown to start off all the national events, you know, and then still have a pretty good grand and a pretty good national, it, it really it makes it a lot easier. And, you know, you got to have a family, a good family at home and, you know, good kennel help and everything else. That, that makes the world go around, too, because – you know, we get to go out. Essentially, we're out there having fun, even though it's our job. But we ain't none of us doing it if we don't love it. So I love going out there and hanging out with everybody just as much as I do being at home. Absolutely. Bismuth. Hey, did you know that bismuth weighs more than steel? It's kind of a no-brainer, but maybe you didn't know that little fun fact. So what that means is you can shoot a smaller size than if you were to be shooting steel. So for instance, let's say you shot three-inch threes, which I used to shoot before I shot bismuth. I now shoot fives. That means you've got more BBs in each shell going down range that packs the same or more punch. So more BBs down range means more likelihood of hitting the duck. And with that bismuth, more likely that that duck is going down better than doornail. You and your dog get the retrieve. Bingo, bango, bongo, bismuth by Kent. Hey, it's not only the food that fuels the truck of lone duck, but we also worry about that gut health. Sometimes the dogs get a little bit of rumbling in the tummies, and I like to help them out get all balanced with this product that Purina provides called Fortiflora basically a probiotic and you sprinkle a little bit of these pouches on the dog's food so for instance if i'm driving to a hunt test and they're rattling around on the trailer and you know sometimes their stomachs can get a little upset from stress movement anything that four to floor can really help balance them out get them back to feeling good and get ready to run so check it out it's purina's Florida flora 
Boom. Let's talk about the SRS, man. I've ran one in my career. Something I'd consider dabbling in more in the future, but explain to people what the Super Retriever Series is. I know we've talked about it, so we don't have to do a 20-minute dissertation on the SRS, but what it is and then the crown and how it all went down for you. So just a quick on the Super Retriever Series, it's, you know, it's basically all the hunt tests and field trials combined. It's one series of field trial and one style of hunting, and it could be AKC or HRC in the first two series. And then you move into the third and fourth series, which one of them two series, generally the fourth is a, what they call a hunt savvy. And that's where they do basically anything and everything. They can throw five or six at one time, put you in a dog hut. It's, it's supposed to be simulated hunting environment. Your field trial series is, you know, it, it can be anywhere from a queue to a very hard derby or all, we've even run some very open style stuff that, you know, some very big opens and the hunt test is uh generally it just kind of plays by ear sometimes it's hrc style just depending on the judges the judges kind of lead way to that going into the crown the crown turns into five series and it's still the first two series one a hunt test and one um a white coat series and after that it's pretty much judge's choice gotcha so this year how many did you how many did you take to the crown so this year I qualified eight dogs for the crown. I had two more that only needed one point, barely missed them. And my eight dogs were, I had a very good crew. I have, I won team of the year and got second and third. So I had shooter and then Cappy and smack. And what is it? All my dogs. Were, team of the, very, what does that even mean? <clears throat> so team of the year means every, every event, they first put the winner gets six points and the loser or the loser, the sixth place dog gets one point. The loser don't get nothing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so the sixth place dog gets one point, and to qualify for the crown, you have to have four points. Well, over the year, Shooter had twenty nine points, um, and he won team of the year this year. We ran, I ran fourteen total events, and Shooter ran nine of them. He only didn't place in one event. Wow, yep. what a hammer! He had three wins. Cappy had two wins. Smack had one win. I had eight total wins this past season out of the 14. Uh, one, one event, I had multiple events. I had three or four placements. Had a very good good year. And, you know, had had a lot of confidence going into the crown and ended up doing pretty well there. What too. does it take to be a great SRS dog? So I, somebody asked me this the other day, and I told them that, you have to be able to mark. Essentially, it's, you have to be able to mark because they're going to throw hidden retired guns. They're going to throw birds that you can barely see. So you have to be able to mark everything you see. But also, the dog has to be compliant enough to, all right, work with me. Let, I know you didn't see it over there. Let me point you in there, and you still go find it. Um, let me cast you off a poison bird. The dog has to be extremely com- compliant with you. But it still has to have that natural ability to mark. At the end of the day, you have to be able to mark. That's unreal, man. How old is your average SRS dog? Um, my youngest dog is just turned three this year, a few months ago, and my oldest dog was ten. Oh. And I had, 
Yeah, my ten year old he got fifth in the crown. I got two eight year the winner was seven, eight. So I, I imagine my I think the average crown champion for overtime is seven years old, eight years old. And my average dog was seven years old, you know, and they've always been in training. These dogs have been in training forever. Yeah. I guess where that where I, why I asked that question is, you know, the the classic I got a master title or a HRCH at two years old. You know, that's awesome. That's a great accomplishment. I don't encourage people to rush to get a title by a certain age. So caveat that. But the point I'm trying to make is the things that these dogs have to learn, comprehend, be exposed to, be comfortable with, and have so many reps under their belt of the poison birds that are just so tempting and the confidence to go out there and hammer the the marks and then the poison birds and then the goofy hunt savvy stuff that they can throw at you i mean that's not a two-year-old it, it, i guess it could be but it, the maturity level and life experience needs to be there absolutely and and it's really a, a good we call it a four-year-old game when the dog turns four they're probably getting into beginning srs for us i run a little three-year-old she qualified for the crown but we kind of bounced around on the events with her and just let her she, – she's a really exceptional dog, but we still didn't push her very hard. The one thing about a dog is they, they have to do the, the basics. They have to be able to retrieve, run a blind, just like you do a master test. The national, no different. Master national, you know that. Field trial, the same in the SRS. You have to do that. But also, the dog has to be just just enough, mature enough to be, when they throw them silly situations at you and they throw all the tricky stuff, that it can be like, you know what, I need to just stick to the basics and just do it and not get phased by it. the ones that are not mature or haven't, even some of the older ones that are not experienced enough, you know, they blows their mind when they do some of the tricks and stuff they do. Yeah. How do you get a dog comfortable with the tricks? So one thing that was always told to me was never train for the tricks, but, you know, and just always stick to the basics. I do a bunch of it. But I do every once a week, I throw the tricks at them in training. I, I'll do a, a we call tricky Wednesday and we, we throw everything we can at them. We do, you know, outgoing and I, even outgoing diversion is a trick essentially. Um, yeah. we throw crazy poison birds that you know the dogs should not be able to do. And and we don't any type of trick, we do not use any type of correction on it. You know, it's just we try to coach the dog through it and get them through the situation. And the only thing we'll correct on is basics. If they don't do the basic stuff, then we, you know, we can get a correction. Outside of that, we're all fun and trying to teach it to them. Every, and I'm talking about eight-year-old dogs. We're teaching it to them. Yeah, and, and I would say what you're what you're implying with the basics, meaning stopping on a whistle, going one cent, yep. et cetera. Bre you know, breaking or something stupid like that. Can you can you give me an example? Sorry, of like the like tricky stuff that you're talking about, like what you maybe encountered in in this year's SRS. So some of the stuff we do is like remote sins, um, you know, and I know that's not, but we're talking um, throw a poison bird out in front of you, then make you do a remote sin blind across from you, with and then maybe throw some outgoing diversions. All the different keyholes we have to hit, we these dogs have to hit different type of decoys. They need to understand what two decoys look like. And I, I think these dogs are smart enough, the ones that are actually really good at the game, 
they look out there and they can picture two decoys that are supposed to be a keyhole. Just simple stuff like that. Or we might have three guys sitting in a chair shooting a gun, and then you have to walk away from the chair and cast the dog on a blind past the mark. Just just all the different crazy stuff they come up with. Yeah. Just blow their mind enough, but help them through it so that they're comfortable if it happens. Yeah, and, and we don't have to train for the exact situation, but, you know, just anytime you take a dog to an odd situation and just coach them through it, that makes them more comfortable even in other situations. Like a little puppy taking them around a loud noise for the first time, you know, the more you do that with them, it don't have to be the same noise. It can be another loud noise later on, but they're still going to be more comfortable with it. The same in these. We're just putting them in any odd situation. We'll have, you know, different loud callers out there electronic callers sitting beside us so the dog's kind of freaking out and all we're doing is throwing singles for them but there'll be a loud goose collar going off beside us just the different stuff like that that you normally don't do for hunt test training yeah absolutely all right so you kind of kicked ass i did i had a good good event you know and got through it man even through the whole deal like how did it feel going into it well, going into it, I was confident. I, you know, I, there was still a little nerve, I think, when I got there. But when I left the house, I knew I was going to win that thing. That was that was the whole goal. We, we worked hard, hard all year. We went to a bunch of different states to practice and prepare. And, you know, we was going to win. When the first dog ran, I had a pretty good score. And I said, it kind of took the, the nerve off. I think if I would have, you know, went out there and blew up on the first dog, it might would have just been a tank. Because the dogs can feel my nerves, too. So luckily I settled in pretty quick and ended up doing pretty good. Had a bunch of dogs toward the front. After the second series, they cut to 18 dogs and I carried five of the 18. So I had five of my eight going to the third and then had a really nice third series again and carried four of them to the fourth. So four of the 12 Um, and then they cut to the top six. Let's go to the third series. What was the third yep. series setup? So the third series, the first series was the hunt test. The second series was the field trial, big field trial. And the third series, we had two blinds. One was remote, and then one was on the, um, with a, both of them were poison birds. You had a remote sin land blind, and then from the same spot that the dog ran from, you run a down the shore water blind with two points of land in play. And on the second point, they had a poison bird planted that was shining like a diamond over there. And, you know, in the running water, it was tough. There was a bunch of people pick up the poison birds. And we we had a good good outing in there. Um, a lot of that's to the control of the dogs. I had one dog pick up the poison bird. A couple of them give me a good scare, but all the rest of them did a really nice job. All right, fourth series. Yep. How many did you take to that? So the fourth I carried four dogs to the four series and they had a hybrid series set up. And in the hybrid series, they had, when you got to the mat or you actually stood in front of a banded chair and they had a, I think it was over 300 yards watermark, a lot of land. You go through a little channel and run a lot on land and then you hit the post to hit the water again. And they had a retired field trial mark. They threw it and then you sat down in the chair and you called for a double and you shot the gun beside them. You, you blew your duck call and they threw a double and you picked it up. And unfortunately I had every dog backside the long gun on the field trial, but where the judges didn't ding us too bad. And 
it led them right to the birds. So we ended up coming out of there pretty good. I carried three dogs to the finals out of that series, three of the six. I feel like on a long retired like that, you know, they do their best to mark where that bird came from. So real quick to break this down, you know, if you, if you don't know a retired gun, a retired bird is a mark that's thrown that the dog sees the person, sees the mark. And then as they're running a blind or picking up other marks, that person goes and hides. So when they come back, they look out there to go find that person that threw it and they're no longer there. Okay. So now you send them out there into basically no man's land that they should have marked off of. And then depending on how people set things up, like maybe you've got one hay bale that they're retired behind. Well, if that dog's a good dog, they're going to say, I saw it on this side of the hay bale and stay to that side of the hay bale. But a lot of these like good judges will hide them where there isn't much to mark off of. And so backsiding it, you know, it's kind of, they went to the area and is it really a backside? Technically, like it is, but you know, they're out there and they're in the area. Correct. And, and, and on this situation, they hide, you know, at 300 yards, they hid behind a bush, a big bush out there that was up on the backside of a pond dam that also had a ditch going underneath it with water. So either way, the dog wasn't really cheating water. They were just hitting the wrong piece of water. But when they got through the ditch, they got up on the backside of the pond dam and they'd run down there and get it. And I think only two dogs actually, what I'd call picked up clean. Um, another dog went really wide in the water, but ended up having a massive hunt. All the dogs that went right behind the gun, though, went right to the bird. But still, you know, we, we we call it behind the gun, but essentially it's not a bad spot to be most of the time. Sure. Yeah, I get it. All right, so now you're taking three to the finals. Who was in the finals competing against you? So I had, um, just on my dogs, I had Shooter, Zeus, and Cappy. And then Lyle had Hatch, uh, Justin Herger had cash and bobby wills had, i can't remember which one he had he had one there too that was the six dogs there and then going into the series i was in the lead with cappy and we, we fortunately held on to it at the end of it it was a big big hunt savvy series you sat down and blew the duck call and then you had to walk off and go rearrange a decoy when you rearrange the decoy they threw a splash bird right out in front of you while the dog was in a butt hut the entire time and then you you walked back to the dog and you sat down and you had some bubba gunners sitting in a boat behind you and you blew the duck call. They blew their duck calls and then they threw a couple more birds out there. And the first thing you picked up one bird and you was hoping it was the little splash bird up front. So basically we primary selected it was floating out in the water. And then you knowed them off and ran a blind past all of them. So we ran a poison bird blind that had a big re-entry off of a dike and a lot of dogs are sucking right and big wind big open water to the left really nice place for the blind and then you come back up and you picked up your other three marks so it was four marks total and one blind interesting so during this all are you like racking points in your head how are you keeping things together to be like i think we're doing all right what do we need to do to stay in the lead to start to for, with my first dog i didn't really try to count points um and we come in in sixth place so there was really no no reason to try to count points we were just trying to do the best we can do and, and figure essentially figure out the test for our other two dogs 
I got up there and Zeus did a pretty nice job. I did have to handle on one mark, but I can keep up with the score generally in my head based off of handles and how the hunts go and how the pre the judges have been judging in the previous series. But, you know, it's hard to consider count the whistles and stuff like that. So I knew as much as I could, but I didn't go into depth. Now with Shooter, he was my second dog I ran. I was, I kind of watched a couple other people run. I said, all right, I need to, I need to handle, you know, no, I can't have a big hunt or I don't, I don't need to handle and stuff like that. So luckily I didn't have to handle and I could easily can, I was counting it up pretty good. And then with Cappy, I, I kept the score. I knew what I couldn't do. I knew if I had a good blind and did not handle, I would win easily. If I had a good blind and handled, but I had a really quick handle, I should still have it secured. It's a lot more strategy, right? Like, I feel like this is how I go into it when I was running some of the cues this summer. You know, you're, you, at least for me, when I was, hunt test is pass fail. I'm excited that everybody passes. I don't really watch anybody else run unless it's one of my buddies and we're there to like root them on or bust their chops. You know, me and Blaine are typically busting each other's chops when we're at the hunt tests. But when you're at the queue, you're watching what everybody else is doing so that you can see where the dog's winding the bird. You're you're watching how they're handling on the blinds. And it's not a point system like the SRS, but in essence, you're like, okay, that dog smoked it. That dog, meh, that dog, meh. And then you're like, okay, the one who smoked it, that's who I've got to, you know, be better than. And so going into the four series of a Q, you know, I'm thinking, I really obviously don't want to have to handle where do I need to point the dog? How do I do this? And it's very strategic compared to the hunt test is it's strategic to pass. Strategic to win. I got to get it good enough to pass versus I've got to hammer it. And how do I hammer it? And I feel like since I don't have the savvy that you do and, and Mossy Pond's team has had at the SRSs and like the Clarks and the Lyles and the Stevens, I mean, you guys have so much more experience at the SRS that I feel like I would be at a disadvantage. Even if you and I had two great dogs, let's just say they're two equal dogs you would have such an advantage over me because of the experience at the line as the handler. And I do think that does play a big deal. And, you know, coming into the year, I only ran two events last year, just kind of dabbling in it. And then this year I went full force, but the first two events this year with the same exact dogs I ran all year long, I did, I carried dogs to the semifinals, but never made a final in the first two events. And then it just started clicking. And a lot of that's experience. I got better as a handler. I knew what I could allow and not allow the dogs to do. Even though, yes, what you know, my dog was doing good work, but it wasn't good enough work. Then I learned how to control the dogs a little better. But at the same time, you know, just like we was talking about counting the score in our head, essentially all we got to do is go out there and do the best we can do. If we count the score and get too worried about, well, I should have handled because everybody else was handling then we're not going out there doing the best we can do. I want to go out there every time and if the dogs try to eliminate points as much as possible. So if I know that handling quick is better, then when I go up there, you know, I'll give the dog, I still want my dog to mark the bird and find it on his own. And if it's just don't win, we mark every bird and we don't win, we just don't win. But 
if I know I could have handled when he missed the bird instead of letting him put on a big hunt, then I feel a little worse about it because I knew the judges like a quick handle. Or if I know the judges like to see him work it out, then, you know, you got the opportunity to let that happen too. That's the, dis that's the disadvantage of not running enough events. But, you know, you got two good dogs and, you know, the handlers are essentially the same on lining them up. You know, it's, it's about who can who can go get it. Very cool. So, Cappy won. Yep. Congratulations, man. What did that feel like? Oh, it, you know, I worked, Cappy was the first dog I trained that I said, you know, I could really win the the crown and i had i didn't have shooter at the time lee howard was running him and which were teammates and but kathy when he first arrived on mossy pond he comes straight to me and i was like you know this is he was good i knew he was good i watched everybody else run the srs i watched the crown for years on the television and i said man this dog can do it so i had a lot of faith in him and he won the my first two events i won he won them back to back weeks so you know i was really confident with him and then, man, it was good to see him him win because, you know, he essentially had no hunt test career before. He was started in the field trial with somebody else. But I ended up teaching him all the hunt tests and, you know, breaking him down. And me and him learned together at the same time. He was learning the SRS game, and I was too. And for us to stick it out all year, it was like a weight lifted off our shoulder. Good for you, man. What a badass. Then, so first place was you. Who got second place? Second place was Justin Hergert and Cash, and third place was me and Shooter again. Yep, and then I think Lyle got fourth, and me and Zeus got fifth, and Bobby, and I can't remember who he had, but they got sixth. Well, congrats. I mean, that's a freaking hammer of a SRS, man. Like, you and Mossy Pond must have been ecstatic. Your clients had to have been pumped. I mean, like they better throw you a dang party. <laughs> We're going to do something. No, no, it was great because Cappy's owner got to come watch it. He lives in Louisiana, so he was there and drove back and forth every day and watched, watched it. So I was glad for Mr. Brian to be able to come watch his dog. And, you know, it's a great feeling for me, but it's even better for him to know that all his money paid back off for him, that, you know, that I'm actually doing my work. Good for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's the cool part about SRS, too, is, it's got a payout, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what is it? Writing checks that your butt can't cash? You cashed them, bud. That's right. That's right. We hope to do it again next year. We're already preparing, you know. We, we got some up-and-coming dogs coming up that essentially, essentially now I feel like, well, you know, we got the best eight dogs, and we got about 12 to 15 dogs, potential SRS dogs, and – you know, you got to be starstruck to be even just to get on the weekend. So, you know, I hope, I hope to, my, my goal next year is to carry double digit dogs to the crown. I had eight this year. I want to at least get 10 next year. Good for you. Setting goals. I like it. So then you go from the crown to the grand. And the grand, at least in my opinion, is it's a butt kicker, man. You know, people get cut pretty quick. How did it go for you? Here I went. I went six for nine at the grand. Um, had a pretty good grand. It was it was a uh, it was rough at first. I, I first series I did a lot of handling and I just didn't think I did very well. Second series I survived, but you know the, the few dogs that did well in the first they kind of got we call it dinged up. But 
essentially they just got marked down but still playing. And we held on in the third and fourth series. I lost one dog in the fourth series that I felt very, very bad for. One of my good friends, and I call him Grandpa. His name Dan Kate, and he trains with me every day. And I lost his dog in the fourth series now to put her in the Hall of Fame with that pass. So, but we're going to go back after it in the spring. There's no hard feelings on it. And, uh, you know, we're the grand, it, it can it can break you down really quick. It can make you hurt and cry and um, want to give up. Yeah. But it will humble you real quick. Coming off a of crown championship and going straight there, I was like, wow, okay. So we had to bear down, and we essentially got it done. It was a really tough grand. The weather conditions were, were tough. All right, when you're looking for supplies to help you and your dog train, we've got you covered. It's LoneDuckOutfitters.com. It's a no-brainer. You can Google it. No biggie. Link's going to be in the description to make it even easier. Whether you need bumpers, launchers, e-collars, swag, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. Check it out. We appreciate all your support. Um, What? So, all right. Sorry, I just had something buzz on my computer. Um, So, with the Grand... You so you took what eight dogs to the SRS you said, and nine dogs to the Grand. How many of those SRS dogs were Grand? Went to, to the Grand. One. Which one? Uh, Shooter. Shooter went to the Grand. Did he pass? He he did pass. Actually, two two. I had fly fly did not pass. I was. Thinking- I think the one did not. So I had two dogs. Shooter passed, and Fly did not pass the grand. Um, she's the little three-year-old shooter. That was Shooter's fifth grand pass. Nice. Congrats. So I guess uh, with that kind of leads me down the road of like why – so Cappy didn't run the grand? No. Um, Cappy, um, he has his HRCH title, and um, just his owner don't he, – he's not interested in the grand as much. Um, essentially – he, he's a SRS only, and a couple of my other ones, they, they went home for duck season. Um, okay. I think it, the guys went home. Two of my dogs, they went home for the goosey, early goose and all that. So, you know, that's why they don't – and and I had another one that – Zeus is 10 years old. He, he, we're lucky to, to still be able to run him in the SRS. We're not trying to push the owners too much to run everything. He, he did run the national. Yeah, he and Memphis, I think, were like back to back, and it's just like two old dogs watching them grin and bear. It was for me, Memphis. I think I cried at, from the second series on. I think I cried a little bit at the line, and and I'm okay with saying it. Oh man, I, and Zeus is one of them dogs that you know, being ten years old, and I think all ten year olds that are playing the national level, and they're giving us everything they got. They obviously are pretty good if they're ten years old still playing. Yes. They still got it, but man, it was just, you could see, like, I could see Zeus running and he's tired. You know, he's just, he's still giving it 110%, but what was he at five? He'd have been kicking up dirt and they just can't kick up dirt anymore. Yeah. And back in February, earlier this year, I thought we was going to have to put Zeus down. And um, one of my good buddies, and he's a vet here, look pretty close to us. He, he got us hooked up and he got Zeus all doctored up and we, uh, I got him on some joint medicines here. He felt a little better. And man, Zeus is, you thought he's two years old again for a while. And we had a long road to get qualified for the crown and participate and get points. And man, I, I was super, I was probably just as proud of him getting fifth in the crown 
as I was Cappy winning it. Like, to be 10 years old, it's his first crown, and went out there and did that. I was proud of him. Good. Yeah, dude. It's a, it's an amazing feat what we ask these dogs to do, and I don't think people can comprehend it unless they sit there and watch it and go, they just did that? What? Absolutely. Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard. And, and for people that, you know, interested in watching the SRS, it is on YouTube to watch. So, you know, you can see some of the crazy stuff we did and some of the series. It's it's some pretty impressive dog work if you're into the dogs. Absolutely. All right. So then we had a you had a pretty dang good grand. What do you do pre grand, excuse me, pre grand training that you feel like is uh, different or a tip or a tidbit that you would give so one thing i do pre-grand which everybody of course if you don't do it a whole lot like and we do so much different stuff is i go straight to throwing from wingers and i think that helps out with the national too so I, all my birds come out with the wingers to get them used to that sound and also use it for the grand i do a bunch of sitting in a chair beside them the whole dread and time thing and training terrible but i do that but it's all about the dog hitting certain spots on training. So I'll set up where there's a piece of cover in the way. And and I cannot allow the dog to cheat the cover. The same thing with water. There's certain certain aspects I hit, but I hold the dogs to a very high standard in pre-grand training. The grand, they, do, they don't give you much time to hunt. You have to go directly to the area to fall and pretty much pick up your bird pretty quick. So... I do the same thing in training. I try. I want the dog to go directly to the area to fall, and I don't beat them up. I just read, resend, and read call. But if I have to get bird help, but a lot of it is thrown with wingers. I think that's the biggest thing is getting them used to seeing no bird boy out there because I use a bird boy every day. Yeah, same here. I would think that that would be my big challenge is transitioning to all hidden guns and like not just sort of hidden i mean hidden yeah exactly there, there's no there's no holding line out in the middle of the field you know we're putting them we even go through the whole process of brushing them in and training um we'll, we'll carry a machete out there and brush in the blinds because essentially the dog has nothing to mark off of except for her you know the, the natural landscape so we do all that and mark the wingers they need to we also work really hard on birds that are hard to see for the grand. I think they always throw a bird that is don't break the skyline with a dark background behind it. There's something always once a grand, there's something. So we, we try to work hard on that. How I would just like to break it down for someone, you know, the dogs looking out into no man's land and they've got to catch a glimpse of a wing, a glimpse of a belly. And the backdrop behind it is is dark and the shadows and this and that. And they've got to really work hard to see what they want to see. They've got to want to find that bird out there. And then I would say if they don't see it, now now you go. <laughs> like if they don't see it, what is the skill set that they have to have to go and be successful? Well, one, they, they have to trust you and, and lining up on it. I believe, you know, they – we work hard on birds all year long for the SRS. They throw birds and the grand and even in the master national I had dogs, not see birds, you know, that you got to be able to talk a dog into a mark at that level. So that dog one has to be able to hold a straight line and go where you send him, but it also has to, Hey, I might smell something. I might should hunt right here. 
So it has to have some type of intelligence, not just to keep running on the straight line as well. Yeah. That third to the Master National, I think, I don't know if I had a dog see the right hand bird, the remote send, the first bird out. Yeah. It was thrown in the shadow the whole time. I don't, I don't know if I had a dog seen it, but they clipped the water and they ran up there and they, some of them put on a small hunt, some of them pinned it, but they all worked it out. That's right. All right. Let's jump into the national. We, we were in the same flight together, which was fun. Cause I've, I, I think I've only ran a hunt test once with you at Steven Durrance's place. And so we really didn't know each other until this national it was fun hanging out with you and watching your dogs work. We were in flight H we had a good group of people. We had Demmer, we had Chase, we had Blaine, we had Oliver, we had Trish. A lot of great amateurs. The tests were tough. Walk us through how many dogs you took, how well, how you did, and, you know, the challenges that we faced. Yep. So I took 12 dogs to the national, and I thought I had a really good crew of national dogs. I ended up passing nine of them, and... I was very glad to get get them nine through. It was a tough five series. Yeah, they were. Um, you know, the the first series started off with a poison bird, which is something I'm comfortable with running the SRS. So I had a pretty good first series, but it didn't hurt that my first dog I ran was Shooter, which is arguably one of my most talented dogs, and I handled on the Go Bird. So right off the rip, I, <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, okay, here we go. This is not a good start, but. <laughs> But we, we, we ended up working it out, and he ended up passing. But we got through the first series good, and then that second series, man, that, that water bird, that was a tough little water bird. I don't know what it was. After a while, it was, it was scoring left pretty hard. But they all worked it out. I think, I think the key to that, Mark, was the dog had to have just enough common sense to look out there and know that that holding blind meant something. Just get across the pond. Yeah, if it just get across the pond, don't just run to no man's land, just – run up there to where that holding blind is and hunt it. And that really helped. And I had a really good water blind. I lost one, one dog there that just totally blew up. She got a little hot after the flyer had a big, big gut hunt on the flyer. And then she just went rampage on the, on the flyer, on the long water bird. Yeah. I and lost, then the, I lost uh, Ember on the water bird. Yeah. She, she went across the water and she was gassed and, you know, just didn't give me a whole lot of effort and caved off to the left. And the next time I seen her, she was way over on the mound. I knew there was no recovery. I get, tried to give her two casts, and yeah, I just brought her on in. There wasn't nothing else to do. And then I lost another one that, you know, I thought should have been pat, you know, called back, but obviously the judges didn't see. And, and I told somebody, I said, if out of all the dogs I ran that water blind with, he did have the worst blind out of my group. So if I had to drop any, it would have been him. But I still thought it was good enough, but at the end of the day, it wasn't. So there wasn't nothing to argue about. We had to still gear up. That's right. That's one thing that I would say this national. So this was my third one. I think if I remember correct, this was your first. This is my second. Okay. Second. So this is my third. I did, uh, Shiraw, Idaho and here in Georgia. And I felt like the first two and this one, I guess the theme that we would kid around is just survive. You're just surviving. Get to the next series. Just survive. So if you got to handle, if you got to do this, you just got to get to the next series. Don't let them blow up. This one, I felt like the first, second, and third series was tough, man. I felt, I felt like there were chances that the dogs didn't get a, the dogs didn't get a chance to rebound. 
they might have done very good work in the first very good like very good and and i might i'm very good doesn't mean tens i'm talking sevens and eights you know passable good work no clear screw-ups and then one mark was completely you're done you're out you don't get to do anymore where at a, a normal weekend hunt test or the other nationals that i've seen is like if the rest were seven and eights and you had a bobble you know not a clear out but a bobble it'd be like okay let's see what he does in the third or the next series and if there's another bobble then you're out and this was more like whacking and stacking man you're just you're just out and i know that some of our buddies there were just like i mean call their owners and say hey the dog did good work you know we we did good work and then they didn't get called back so they weren't expecting to be dropped and then they were it's tough. Yeah, and I, I think the judges, I think they were very consistent judging. I think they did uh, a lot of consistency, I think, throughout yeah. each series. But I think they had in their mind what they wanted. And, you know, it, it, we might have thought it was good, and everybody there thought it was good. But if, if it wasn't, they didn't obviously tell us what they wanted. We figured it out quick. Yeah. But – uh. I think if you we didn't do what they wanted, they they didn't play around. They went ahead and dropped us. Yeah. Um, but, and and that's and that's fine. If that's how, if that's how it's going to be, we we can play that too. But you know. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's, and it's, I, it's not like a, I don't have hard feelings on it. It's it is what it is. No, me either. I, I, I yeah, I don't at all. I I just look at it like I would like Ember, the one who bob bobbled the second series. It wasn't good work on that watermark. I know it wasn't, but I also know what she's capable of. So it's like a lot of times judges would, would in their brain or like what I think is it showed a lot of promise in other areas. It had a shitty mark. Let's see if it does it again. And if it doesn't do it again, then it just had a brain fart. It had a bad mark. Like it, you know, it's here for a reason right? Like two-time master national dog at seven years old. You know what I mean? Like she had one bad mark. It was, and it was bad. And I would have loved the opportunity to play one more round. And if she screwed up one more time, then I would have been absolutely good as gold saying, yeah, she didn't earn it this year, but it is what it is, man. Yep. I, I agree. You know, the dog just, it was a little choppy getting into the water and Rightfully so, I thought I did a good job. It was running dead into the sun late in the day, and you know there was a bad glare in the water. But you know, there's no excuses. He he was a little choppy, but he two whistled the water blind from the water all the way down the shore through the little. No reason why he blew two whistles was I put him in that little grass that they really wanted him. That he was probably going to rub the edge, but I really pushed all mine up into that grass because they said they liked that. And you know, outside of that, that was two extra whistles. I'm not sure if that cost anything but you know he, he was a little choppy up front and then he did a good job and, and how Ember, know, I thought he, she, was, she was choppy up front choppy at the little island there with the scent on it and then once she got past that it was right there so w with that like comment that we're both talking about right now figuring out the judges and what they want i think anyone who's listening to this that wants to compete with their dogs that's something that you have to think about you know, even if it's a weekend test, you know, there are, 
ideas that a judge likes and doesn't like. I've seen judges drop people for a dog that drops the bird at their feet, picks it up, drops it at their feet, picks it up, drops it at their feet, and then they take it. I actually don't have a problem with that, right? Like, if you're a master hunter, you better deliver to hand. Don't drop it six times and have me say fetch six times, you know. But I've also seen hundreds of other judges let that slide and that dog gets a master pass. Or, you know, it, the first series where we had to run that poison bird and if the dog was to the left of the hay bale, you're out. And if it's to the right of the hay bale, you're in. But realistically, if you're five feet here or five feet there, that's the line to the blind. You know, in a lot of aspects, a lot of judges would let that slide. There's no way in hell I would have let my dog get to the left of that hay bale. Because I'm out, dude. You know, it's just, you. so you have to play to what you're seeing the judges judge and be strategic as a handler to put your dog in a position to pass. Absolutely. And that's an all sporting, a sporting event. You know, you know, uh, NFL player, a college football player, they're whatever the referee does. I mean, they're going to look at them and say, well, they're letting the cornerbacks get a little, you know, touchy on the corners and the wide receivers. They can push a little more. They know how to play the officials as well. And, and we have to do the same way. It's not that we're trying to cheat. We're trying to, we're trying to do the best job these judges want from us, essentially. So we're trying to show them what they want. Exactly. That's all we're going to do. Showing the strengths that our dogs have and managing the situation in front of us. But anyways, all right. So the, so now we're on to the third series. That was a bit of a butt kicker. And when you're looking at it, it didn't, it really wasn't that hard. No, it was not. I did not think it was bad when we first watched it. Yeah, we first watched it. I was like, yeah, we got this. And then son of a gun. That right hand bird, man. It, it was it was hard, especially with the way the shadows were on the first day and the second day towards the end. And, you know, we had that big wind that, that was changing a little bit here and there. But that, that right hand bird, I think, to me, was the hardest bird out of all my dogs. I couldn't pick up the far right bird. The go bird was pretty good on the island. And the middle bird, I, I got the middle bird pretty good. I went for it and, and got it second pretty good. But the right hand bird, man, I had dogs up in the trees behind it. Like, we've never thrown a bird in some thick woods before. Yeah. The only dog that had a hard time on that was Memphis, and she didn't see the middle bird. Everybody else picked it up clean for me. And I don't even remember the order I picked it up in, to be honest with you. I'm trying to rack my brain. If I, I think I did go bird on the island, left hand bird, then right bird. But I mean, they were dropping dogs for cheating the, the water and. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I get think, that, dude. I get it. I mean, that's clearly get in the water and go get it. Yeah. And I think we lost, you know, there was some really nice dogs that were dropped there and rightfully so dropped. Like they didn't do the work, they double handled or they performed very, very poorly. But, uh, you know, doing the remote sin or remote sit, we didn't have to sin. Man, that, some of them dogs were worried up there and they didn't see birds. They didn't do what they normally would do. So the little things like that is essentially we've lost some pretty nice dogs because of it. Yeah. Yep. Fourth series. We went to Four a the new spickles absolutely and that that flyer we had what like a, a 70 yard shot flyer at times <laughs> yeah <laughs> the thing was I, I shot flyers 
trying to think I, the second day, maybe I shot flyers for several hours and it was dog after dog after dog that would be within feet of it, dude, feet right on top of it and couldn't smell it. And so what I think arid con- and arid conditions, dry, the, the dirt was sand and grass. So you've got no moisture there for the dogs to get some scent in the area. I mean, there's feathers everywhere, but they were marking that bird. I mean, they were on it and they would just run right past it and run right past it and run right past it. They could not dig that sucker out. And I, dog after dog, I'm sitting there going, you gotta be kidding me. Like, please pick this up. Please pick this up. Please pick this up. And it just was way more difficult. Like I thought at the line, you know, dogs were struggling, but then sitting there and being 15 feet from the dog and watching it hunt its butt off and being a nose away from it and can't smell it was shocking to me. Yep, and, and I hit I hit the fourth pretty good. I I didn't lose anybody. I didn't handle anybody. Did a really nice job, but man, the flyer. I imagine being out there at the flyer station. It didn't look like it, but it seemed like some of them flyers would literally fly 70 yards from the line. They were they were big because the wind was kind of getting behind them right there and carrying them a good ways. But you know, that was a good test with the short bird thrown underneath the bottom of it. Yep. Yeah. So we'll describe it. I'll describe it real quick. So it was um, left hand bird thrown left to right at maybe 65, 70 yards, a 165-yard flyer, down, and it's like slightly down a little hill, and it's what we would refer to as a hip pocket. So the short bird was thrown into the, you know, hip pocket. I hate describing a hip pocket because I don't know how else to describe it, but left to right, flyer was left to right, and so they were just offline, offset from each other long flyer and then a sharp angle back right to left go bird. So you go pick that up. Then you had to know off of the short bird, run a blind behind the gun, which actually got a few dogs. It was way easier than our first series, but it still got several dogs. Then come back, pick up your short bird, hopefully. But there was some other terrain features that we ran into that screwed us. There was a flight that ran there before. And so you know, 130 dogs running a straight line creates a herd path. And that herd path could take them into no man's land and basically to the flyer. And if they, you know, it just, it, it, it screwed them up. And luckily the wind saved most of the dogs, but there were some dogs that it just completely screwed. And then we saw dogs go out on that, that really had been doing a good job, but just bobbled it. Um, I think the only dog I had messed that up, but still, you know, pass was Quinn. She overran the go bird by a country mile and had to hunt her way back. I think she's just a little too excited and just overran it and figured it out. So you didn't lose anybody in the fourth. No, I didn't lose anybody in the fourth. I I handled one dog and that was the Cappy dog. Um, And that was on the short check down bird. He, He actually overran it the first time and went and got the flyer. Right. He probably took that herd path. Yep, he did, and and he had a um, he went out there and got it. And he come back in, and I thought he stepped on it, and he, I thought he was gonna go back to the blind, so I went ahead and put a quick hand on him because he he checked down, but he 
just kind of went towards the blind old pole, and that's an old fall. I think a lot of people did not understand that as well. Yeah. So we'll again let's break this down a little bit. A dog, you are automatically eliminated if you go to the old fall. So because the dog picked up a blind there before and the dog goes out for the mark, doesn't find it, and then bails off to the where the blind was planted, that's an old fall, automatic out. So you, you'd have to handle to keep them from doing that. If it was a mark and they go back to that, you're automatically out. So you've got to handle and get them out of that situation. Yeah, that's, I mean, you got to do it. You can't risk that he's going to figure it out. You have to put him on the bird. So good, safe handle. Yep, and and come out there, and you know, I needed a good fifth series with him. Um, I didn't want to lose him, but he ended up getting it done. And then all of you know, I ended up getting everybody through. I didn't. I lost all the dogs in the second, and I lost one in the third series, and that was all I lost. So the fifth, the fifth was a doozy. Had a big that big water bird across there was not bad. I had one dog have a pretty rough handle, but still got through it. But that little short bird in front of the water. That scared me to death. I lost Hunter on that one. So I went, I, I passed four of six and I had five of six going into the fifth. I I woke up that day feeling good. <laughs> I left that oh, day yeah. feeling like shit. Yeah, uh, that was, and it was over the, over the short go bird that was in front of the water. But, you know, it was just so, I would never throw that bird like there in training. So it kind of, you know, maybe I should have, but. Maybe I shouldn't. However, I didn't pick it up very good. I had dogs hunt on it, different stuff. But I essentially, you know, just survived that series and and made it out and went nine for twelve. Good for you, man. Nine for twelve. That's a so a whole successful fall. Good for you. Congratulations to you and Mossy Pond and all your clients. Training for these big national events is kind of stressful. You want the dogs to peak at the right time. You want them to feel good about themselves, yet completely under control. Because running these amount of events without an e-collar on, without being able to recall and resend, you know, whatever we do in training, all of a sudden they just get looser and looser and looser. And it's tough. Uh, So to go from the crown to the grand to the national and have that kind of success is is, uh, kudos to your training. And we worked really hard, and, you know, we come straight home, and, and we busted tail and had a good training group. I trained with Jimmy Rogers and for the national training with Jimmy Rogers and Adam Campbell. And, you know, we, we worked hard on the simple stuff, which is control, and over the basics. You know, the dog, if, if you ain't going to teach it to mark the week of training, it's just not going to happen. Um, but, but we can teach it to sit there and be steady and, and hope and hope to build a little confidence by being steady. And that that's the one thing I always, even on a regular weekend test, steadiness is key to me. If dog ends up not marking or goes out because it fell on a blind, you know, that's one thing. But we can make we can get the dog to sit. Essentially, we if we're gonna sign it up, it, it, it should sit. Yeah, I agree. And when a dog breaks, that hurts. I think that hurts me more more than dog on any other thing. Because I know I could have worked a little harder on, you know, maybe throw a flyer in its face in training or do breaking bird drills, do just different things that I might could have done that I didn't do just to get him to sit still. Because obviously it was told to me one time before that, 
even my 80 year old grandma knows that if the dog breaks, he's out. <laughs> you don't know he's out just because you handle twice she don't understand none of that but if it goes there before it while the bird's in there it can tell it's out uh-huh that's hilarious so, yeah i just don't want i don't want to break that's the, that's my main goal so i didn't have no breaks and none of them so i was i was pleased good yeah all right let's real quick because you you had mentioned it earlier being able to take some of these dogs on their first hunt like High accolades, Mr. Cappy, SRS champ. Cappy went on his first real duck hunt at Mossy Pond. I'd like to end, you know, the podcast with some tips and tricks to help a dog out in their first season, no matter how well trained they are or if they're a basic dog that's just learning everything right now. Yep. So so the most basic thing that a 10-month-old dog that's just done four months of training or an eight-year-old that won the crown championship this year, the one thing he has to do is sit sit there. And the main thing is for the safety, safety of the dog, safety for the hunt, so steadiness. And, and I just did some drills the other day with splash, putting a dog on a dog stand, splashing birds out in front of them, you know, shooting across there, blowing a bunch of duck calls. But I, I treat a dog's first hunt, no matter the age, as if, I need to train him to do every single thing in the hunting environment. I go in there. I do not carry a gun. I sit there with him and I let, you know, I talk to him. I, I leash him up if I need to. If he gets a little antsy, I'll, I'll put a leash on him. I don't care if he's eight. I want that first hunt to be the most successful hunt. The first bird killed, if it sells and goes into the woods or goes way off, we're not going to pick that one up. You know, with that first bird's got to be the most successful bird to me. We we get the ones that's laid out here in the decoys. We'll start on them. We don't come out running a poison bird blind on the first hunt. You know, it's just not going to set me up. I'm, I'm going to go out there. and Then maybe at the end, if we had a good good hunt, I'll, I'll go pick up some on a blind. But I want everything to be as controlled as possible. And, you know, I, I give tips to anybody. You know, if you got the dog that's really steady and he can sit there through the hunt, then you're halfway done there. The next part is pick up the simple birds. Let then then you can worry about the hard stuff later. So the, the birds that fall out in the decoys, you know, go ahead and get them. But don't waste your time running a three hundred yard blind on the first hunt. Right. And you might can at the very end end of the hunt, but let's don't do it midway to hunt and booger it all up. Yeah. You know, just keep it simple. Keep it simple and keep stick to the basics. You know, sit means sit, so you can always use it. Now, one thing I always do when the first volley of birds come in, I, I'll be standing beside the dog. I tell them to sit. I don't just trust them. Yep. I carry bumpers with me when I'm hunting, and, you know, especially a young dog, a, a dog that's on his first season of hunting, maybe a year-old dog, we get into the duck blind or we get into the – put him on the dog stand in the timber, wood duck hole. If it's real slow, I'll throw some bumpers out there for him. I want them to be almost training inside that, inside the hunting environment then because a dog gets bored. It's just like us. We start getting lackadaisical and we start doing things we shouldn't. And then they learn bad habits. So one thing I always do is I carry some bumpers with me and keep them, keep them tuned up in the hole. I agree. I think that's a, a phenomenal tip because we did, we do the same. We'll have a bumper in our blind bag. And if it's boring and slow and they don't get to do anything because it's a, a 
classic lone duck day. We didn't get the name lone duck for shooting a pile of them, but you've got that bumper to, you know, have your buddy jump up and shoot and you whip a bumper out of the boat or whatever. Just give that dog some sense of, I sat here for two, three hours and didn't do Jack. Let me go do something. And then you're reinforcing all that you've trained to, to have a successful day, even though the birds aren't in the strap. It's, it's something for that dog. I a hundred percent agree. Having controlled the dog that sits still and whatever, I a hundred percent agree with shooting birds that are decoying, not sky busting and have them sail 300 yards. And I also, you know how ducks will fly in at first light and we'll water swat them at like, all right, you know, three, two, one, all right, take them boys. And you water swat the first round, you know, type of deal. Well, what did that, that dog didn't learn Jack. It didn't see anything fall. It didn't see anything. It's dark out. And so, you know, just be conscious of it. I'm not telling you not to shoot because my trigger finger is itchy too, but be conscious of your dog's first few hunts. I'd rather sacrifice that one bird and the next one cups up and the dog watches it and it falls in the water and it goes and gets it. And then the the second thing, I've been humbled a ton, which I would love to hear if you had any humble pie stories on these hunts where it's like Cappy, the SRS champ. But I took my, one of my dogs, Prairie last year was her first season. She's like two years old, runs blinds, you know, dang near a master hunter and now is a master hunter, but never hunted before shot a beautiful happened to be banded Drake Mallard dead in the decoys, dude. I could have hawked a loogie and hit it kicking feet up center she swims out swims to the mojo swims three circles and came back to the boat i'm like you gotta be shitting me kicked her loose again she jumps in no pressure no nothing we kind of like laughed about how embarrassing this is you know professional dog trainer bob dog can't go pick up a 10 yard mark jumps in the water goes and gets it never screwed up again it just didn't click so don't lose your patience throw him a rock help them figure it out. And all of a sudden, all the pieces of the puzzle that you've been putting together in training will start to click. It might be bird one, it might be bird 10, but it's a different, there's not a bird boy throwing a mark. There's not a winger. There's not a boom gun. There's not a, you know, it's just different. They're sitting there for an hour and a half and all of a sudden, bang, one gunshot goes off and they see a splash and they're looking at the person over here who shot the gun and have no clue what happened. Help them out, coach them up. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, don't expect, oh, they're a grand hunter, trivia champion, master national hall of fame, that they're going to do it perfect. Because, I mean, have you ever trained them for that? We've been training for the competitions, not not that. So, yeah, I have a little story about I have a dog named Red that I run the SRS with. He's a grand hunter, trivia champion, master national hunter. And I, we, we took him hunting the other day, and he got off into the on a crippled bird. And I was like, surely, I mean, this is nothing for him. It was the first bird, too of the day he picked up pretty good and the next bird was crippled right behind it in the same spot and he chased it around well unwillingly known that he was about 300 yards on the up about two duck holes over before i finally found him again <laughs> you know that the old here command went went bye bye there yeah um, so you know just little things like that i was like man i look really embarrassed i'm sitting here with a bunch of clients yeah and i can't even get the dog to come back to me i had to crank the boat up and go down the boat ditch to go get him yeah, I've been there. I've, 
So I put him back in there. And, you know, after that, we, we spoke to the birds inside the hole for a little bit. and We'll, we'll go back next time. But, you know, I, I, and we luckily for me, I get to take dogs on different types of hunts. You know, we, we do upland pheasant and upland quail. Well, I took a dog quail hunt the other day, a, a grand hunt retriever champion that I would thought would be awesome at upland hunting. Took her on a quail hunt, sent her after it, and, man, she run 200 yards before she ever stopped. When I called her name, I was like, what the crap? The bird dogs are pointed at like 15 yards. Yeah. And she just kept running. She was like, I think, and then I got to think about it. I was like, in her mind, she thought she was running until she did, you know, got a bird. Or she got a little them quail. Yeah. 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 So I was like, all right. So, man, knowing that them dogs have no clue about what them bird dogs are doing in front of them, it really showed me that, man, these dogs, they could, the dogs that do it really good. And you're like, wow, that's a really nice dog that's flushing for these birds. Man, they understand that them bird dogs are pointing a bird, so they they read that dog and they hunt beside the bird dogs. Yeah, it's contact. You know, right? Same thing, duck hunting. Yep. You know, you know, never put a. How often do we get to put a dog in a in a boat and ride it down a boat ditch, and go all through the woods and then show up and throw decoys out in front of you? Can't train for that stuff. So obviously, the first hunt, there's a lot of new stuff. We want to keep it basic and simple, and then once the dog gets acclimated to all that, you know, then you can start getting into your fun stuff. You can start knowing it off of birds and, you know, picking up the things. But just nobody has a, a really a, a big dog trainer can facility cannot train for the time management stuff like that. That's right. I have another funny one. So Memphis, who made it in the Hall of Fame this year. So again, high accolade, great dog, hunted a bunch. We were in Maryland hunting black ducks in this little cove and uh, we shoot one and it's crippled. And if you can picture the cove with a couple little peninsulas, like fingers, like badass place to train, really. Well, the live one crippled is swimming and diving on her all over this point, all over it. She finally gets it, comes back. Next bird we have gets shot and lands on top of the point, 10 feet, belly up on land, 10 feet from where she was chasing that cripple. What do you think she did? Oh, yeah. She wasn't going back to the old fall. No, dude. She she did. She wouldn't get back on land because she's like, I just had the oh, yeah. most fun chasing this cripple right here. <laughs> yeah. and she's like, it landed right back where this other one was. I mean, it was only a few feet, but it was on land. So she started chasing again. Oh, chasing like it's and like, you know, putting her head underwater like it's got to be here. It's got to be here. I'm in it. And just absolutely, you know, I, I mean, if she just turned around and looked for one second, she'd see it, you know, one jump over here. And it, we were laughing slash super embarrassed <laughs> that I committed this dog. She kept putting her head underwater. Like, I'm going to catch it. I'm going to catch it. Nope, it's it's not there. So they will humble you. They will make you wonder what, you know, eight years of dog training has done. And so if you expect your 10-month-old to be perfect on its first duck hunt, I promise you something screwy will happen. So stay patient. Have fun. To your point earlier. The basics are important. Steadiness for the safety of the dog and the other hunters. Steadiness is paramount. Mark the birds, you know, all that stuff is super, super important. So 
Anything else, Carter? How can people find you, man? You're uh, you got a little Instagramming and Mossy Ponding. How can people find you and your your team there? Yep, we're we're on Facebook primarily. Um, we do use it. I do use Instagram, Mossy Pond Retrievers or Carter Turner. Um, you can you can find me on a bunch of hunt tests as well. But you know we're we're in Southeast Georgia, and if anybody's ever that way, more than welcome to stop in and train. And you know we love having different people in because we get I, i'm learning every day and i love spending time with other dog trainers because you somebody might have one tip that can make me better and you know everybody's getting better these dogs are getting better the game's getting essentially easier or harder because they're having to come up with stuff to because we've gotten so good the dogs have gotten so talented bred so well that you know we got to keep evolving our own self and our own training methods to keep up with the evolution of these dogs, how good they're taking off. So, you know, um, Mossy Pond Retrievers in Patterson, Georgia, or look me up on Carter Turner on Facebook. Absolutely, man. Well, congratulations to you on an extremely successful year and fall. I mean, to go one, three, five at the SRS, smash the Grand and smash the Master National. I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you. You work your butt off and you're a good dude and fun to hang out with. I'm glad you got to join us on, on an episode and uh, I hope to have you on again, man. Absolutely. And maybe when you come down this winter, we'll, we'll run up Blaine's and hang out one day. <laughs> yeah. We'll go hang out with old bigs. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I've ventured out the Boykin game and I'm trying to get him back from Blaine. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. He keeps wanting to training for me. I don't, I don't know. I'd let him train it, dude. <laughs> Screw that. I know that's well, that's kind of the reason why he's there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, hey man, thank you so much for joining us. You have a great evening. We'll catch you soon. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.